uh, COVID, uh, we, we see a lot of stories about red tourism, for example, uh, outbound travel. Uh, for purposes of gambling has been a, a huge issue for the Chinese government with a lot of measures uh, that have been implemented in, in recent months and years. So, yeah, that, that's another thing to watch uh, post-pandemic. And, and sort of a test case for all this is the Olympics in, in a couple of weeks because uh, very, very strict controls on, on inbound arrivals. And then normally, of course, this would have been a moment where China would have encouraged lots of uh, tourists to come in and see see the event and, and, and the show, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, yeah, well, whether or not uh, they don't want people traveling out as much, they don't need as much foreign tourists coming in, and that'll be replaced with, with local travel is certainly something to watch. Ross, thanks very much indeed. Always good to talk to you. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets this morning in Australia, first of all, the SX200 down just slightly, 0.1% lower. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan has turned positive. It's now up 0.9%. Cosby in South Korea is also up now, up about a third of percent. Futures markets indicating a gain of about 120 points uh, for the Hang Seng at the open. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil is slightly firmer at $87.71 a barrel, close to a seven-year high. Uh, gold is trading at $1,840 an ounce. And that's it from me this morning. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for back chat. Janice Wong and James Ockenden with you after the news. The weather forecast, mainly fine. Cool in the morning. Maximum temperature is going to be around 20 degrees during the day. And then windy with a few rain patches in the next couple of days. The temperature right now is 16 degrees. 81% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shrofsky with the half-hour news. Hong Kong is facing the prospect of more COVID cases of an unknown origin. The Center for Health Protection yesterday reported 16 cases, including seven thought to have been acquired in the community. Two of these involving a kindergarten teacher and a 79-year-old man remain a mystery. There are also about 10 preliminary positive cases, some unlinked. They include a secondary school student and an air freight worker who lives in the same public housing block as the 79-year-old man. Here's the center's Dr. Chuang Shuk Kwan. We are indeed very worried about the increasing number of unknown cases in the community with Delta in some cases and Omicron in the other cases. So, um, and there are signs that there are still cases coming up uh, from the uh, community testing centers. So um, we urge the public uh, to be uh, vigilant about the hand hygiene, avoid um, social activities as, as much as possible. The government has again called on people living and working in Sham Shui Po to keep voluntarily testing for COVID, following concerns about silent transmission chains there. In a statement, it said 9,800 people had already tested at eight service points it had set up. It also said sewage samples from the area had tested positive. Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson says he'll fight on to despite fresh demands for him to quit over allegations of staff parties that broke COVID lockdown rules. One previous loyally, loyal ally, the former Brexit minister, David Davis, told him he'd failed to take responsibility for his actions and said, in the name of God, go. In a bruising encounter in Parliament, Britain's opposition Labour leader, Keir Starmer, described Mr. Johnson's account of events as unbelievable. Doesn't the country deserve so much better than this out-of-touch, out-of-control, out-of-ideas and soon-to-be-out-of-office Prime Minister? 
Earlier, a conservative member of parliament defected to the opposition Labour Party. International telephone links have been restored to Tonga for the first time since communication was lost last Saturday as a result of the volcanic eruption and tsunami. The telecom operator Digicel said phone calls were now possible, though Internet connections could take weeks to restore after an undersea cable was damaged. The first aid ships from Australia and New Zealand are expected to arrive by Friday. Speaking to the BBC, Tonga's High Commissioner to London, Titilupe Tuivakano, explained rescue efforts. We have confirmed three fatalities, which is, of course, very sad news. Uh, But no other deaths have been reported or cases of missing persons. But uh, I do imagine that His Majesty's Armed Forces, the Navy, has been deployed and with their patrol boats for frontline responders to assess and evacuate people from the low-lying islands that have been severely impacted. We'll have more on these and other stories at 9 o'clock. Good morning and welcome to Bad Chat with James Ockenden and me, Janice Wong. Good morning, James. Good morning, Janice. Good to be here. Today, we're talking about Hong Kong's vaccination drive and the COVID hamster call. For months, the government has been pushing for more Hong Kong people to get vaccinated. But inoculation rates had hit a plateau until recently, when the authorities said vaccinations would be required if people wanted to be admitted to restaurants and other regulated venues. Anecdotally, it seems that the lure of dim sum outweighed vaccine hesitancy for many elderly people who flocked to get their jabs. And now even kids between 5 and 12 years old will soon be able to get their vaccine of choice. So are we turning a corner? Will the vaccination rate go high enough to ward off the threat of Omicron? We'll be speaking to the man in charge of the vaccination drive, Civil Service Secretary Patrick Nip. But further clouding the COVID picture are two suspected cross-species infections. A pet store worker and a customer are thought to have caught the virus from hamsters. This prompted a mass call of hamsters and other rodents across the city, with pet stores and new owners handing over the animals to be euthanized as a public health precaution. We'll be diving into this apparent new threat as well. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or why not just give us a call on 23388266. Now let's go straight to Civil Service Secretary Patrick Nip for an update on Hong Kong's vaccination drive. Good morning, Mr Nip. Good morning. Good morning, James and Janice. Good morning. morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. You're welcome. um, You said over the weekend that kids as young as five could receive the Sinovac jab from this week. So so has it actually started yet? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, Actually, we would uh, be making an announcement uh, for kids uh, age five to 11. Uh, Starting from tomorrow, uh, we would make available um, Sinovac vaccines um, for vaccination. And... uh, um, Persons age of 5 to 11 uh, with parents' consent could go to our three community vaccination centres uh, and also um, the uh, private clinics, more than a thousand outlets, uh, to receive the uh, Sinovac vaccines. For the BioNTech vaccines, uh, we will be setting up dedicated uh, vaccination centres and it will start operate uh, after, it will start operation uh, after the Lunar New Year. Uh, tentatively uh, on the um, uh, 16th of uh, February. So we'll be making announcements soon um, to uh, outline the details. 
but basically we are ready uh, for uh, vaccination for our young kids and we hope that they will come forward and to get the protection. So, so apart from um, Glen Eagles Hospital and Wong Chuk Hang, and that will be used for BioNTech uh, shots, uh, what, what other locations will young, uh, young children be able to get uh, BioNTech? Has that been decided yet? Oh, yeah, uh, because, um, you know, um, because uh, there are some, uh, you know, uh, uh, dilution process uh, in dealing with the uh, BioNTech uh, vaccination, uh, because uh, we only need to take a fractional dose, uh, one third of the, um, uh, the adult dose. So uh, we'll be setting up dedicated uh, vaccination centers. Our plan is to set up one each on uh, Hong Kong Island, Kowloon, and the New Territories. So apart from the uh, uh, Glen Eagles hospitals, uh, uh, we'll be also setting up on, uh, one in the children's hospital and one um, in, in one of the sports centers in the New Territories. So we'll be announcing the details soon. And I understand uh, you need a pharmacist at the center. How, how, has that been sorted out? I mean, how many do you actually need and have they all been recruited? Well, uh, actually, um, it's no different from uh, what they're doing uh, in the current community vaccination centers. But just that um, um, you have to uh, make sure that uh, the process of dealing with the dilution and taking out a fractional dose, um, the whole procedures is properly, um, you know, set out and uh, well rehearsed. And so it requires a little bit of time. But in terms of the, uh, you know, um, the complexity or not, um, basically, the, uh, the the pharmacies and the healthcare professionals they are good at dealing with that. How many pharmacists do we need for that, Mr. Nip? Sorry. How many pharmacists do we need for that? Oh no no no! Uh, actually, uh, we have all these um, set up already. Uh, but just that uh, the pharmacists and also the professions, uh, the relevant um, healthcare um, of professionals, they have to uh, agree on the detailed procedures in the whole dilution process. So uh, we require some time to sort it out, but uh, it's not difficult, uh, and it will be sorted out, and the uh, operation could start uh, after uh, Lunar New Year. So a formal um, announcement will be made later today? Yeah, we'll be making formal announcement later today. And, uh, of course, uh, when we talk about uh, vaccination, we, we can't leave out the elderly. Um, yes. So, uh, Mr. Nepp, what is the current vaccination rate like for the elderly? I mean, since the introduction of the walk-in vaccination arrangement and the mobile vaccination centre. Well, we're glad to see the recent increase in the demand uh, for vaccination, particularly uh, for the elderly, because they are really the priority group. And uh, we hope that through vaccination they can get protection, uh, particularly reduce the risk for uh, severe um, disease and death. Now, um, uh, the current uh, vaccination rate, um, let me uh, summarize. Um, the total, total uh, population uh, receiving a first dose uh, about 5.18 million people, uh, accounting for 77% of eligible population, that is age 12 and above. And um, for the elderly population, uh, for those um, 60 above and above, uh, is about 58%. Uh, and for 70 and, and above, 44%. Um, elderly age 80 and above, 28%. Now, if you look at the um, cohort of uh, 60 to 69, uh, it's better, uh, 70, 71%, all right? So for those age 70 and above, it really, we need to work hard on it. And we, uh, we appeal to uh, family members um, to encourage the elderly uh, to come forward and to receive the jab. And we will continue to, uh, with our uh, health talks, um, 
you know, and consultation on site um, to ease uh, their mind, and uh, so that uh, they they know it's, it's basically very okay and safe for them to receive the jab and get protection. I guess what really helped uh, boost the elderly vaccination rate uh, was the recent announcement of the vaccine bubble. Um, were you surprised by the impact of that announcement on the number of people getting vaccinated? Uh, no, no, no. Actually, um, in the past months, um, I visited 18 districts to do the promotion and talk to the elderly. And, and actually, quite a number of them are not so, so-called objecting to the vaccination. They are, they are hesitant. Um, they are, have some sort of concern, and uh, they want to show all their drugs to the doctors and uh, and, and and get an okay from the doctors. <laughs> so um, and uh, so so some sort of a push, and uh, and that, that would help. And and that's the vaccine bubble. Um, so uh, I'm glad to see that uh, you know more and more elderly are willing to come forward, and uh, coupled with the explanation and the consultation that we are providing. Uh, I think I think it's uh, it's, it's very good. Um, so so we'll we'll provide um, we'll continue to provide by multiple channels and to facilitate elderly to receive the jab, uh, including uh, community vaccination centres. And every day we have same day tickets uh, reserved for elderly age 60 and above. And uh, because some of them may not be uh, you know uh, very good at uh, making booking online. Uh, apart from that, uh, we have uh, the mobile vaccination. Uh, units, um, you know, traveling in public uh, housing estates. And also um, there are 13 um, vaccination uh, stations at public hospitals. Um, it really provides a very convenient um, location uh, for those elderly who uh, get their appointments with the doctors and after that they can receive the jab uh, in public hospitals. So, so from what you're saying, you don't believe the um, the announcement of the uh, vaccine bubble um, really helped uh, in boosting uh, the... It helped, it helped. It helped. It, it, it really, that, that's the sort of kind of, uh, some sort of a push that's required um, for the elderly to come forward to receive the jab. You're talking about uh, sort of first dose vaccinations, but really, given the time element, we need to get people boosted really as well. So yes. I see it's only for 80 above, it's only three and a half percent roughly for, for third dose, eleven and a half percent for 70 to 79. So that's not really going to cut it with Omicron coming through, is it? Well, yes, yeah, so for those who receive uh, their second dose for more than six months, um, they really need to come forward to receive the third dose to get the protection. Uh, at present, the number of persons getting third dose is about um, 700,000 um, people. Um, so uh, we will continue to do the promotion. And, um, and of course, the current priority is to get the elderly to receive the first dose uh, first uh, to uh, push up the um, vaccination rate for the elderly group. And, and uh, of course, to kickstart the uh, vaccination for the young kids. Um, and the third dose will, of course, be uh, an important area. Once they've uh, had the, the first dose, are they sort of on track so the elderly uh, to go and get the second and third almost automatically, or will they need convincing about the booster as well? Well, if you, you see, the, uh, at present, the number of persons, uh, people getting the second dose uh, is about 70%, 70% of the eligible population. So, um, so, so people usually get the first dose, they'll get a second dose. Um, for, the, for the third dose, um, at well, to, every day we have about um, 35,000 to 40,000 uh, doses a day, and uh, more than I mean about uh, 20,000 
uh, actually are third dose. So the number of third dose, um, you know, with every day. Um, yeah, but that's still a lot money. lower than the capacity of the centres, which is around 60,000 a day, isn't it? I mean, can the, can the centres go to 100% capacity or is it better that they stay at this sort of 60% capacity to, to keep running smoothly? No, no, no. Um, actually, um, the centres is able to absorb the, uh, the sort of demand. Um, um, at present, we can, or, or by the end of this month, uh, we can do uh, 60,000 doses a day. So uh, now we are close to 40,000 a day. So um, actually, uh, they can come forward and we will continue to encourage and more and more and to receive the jab as early as possible. All right, so Mr. Nip, I have a few, few emails here from our listeners. I, I, I hope uh, you can help answer some of yeah. their questions. Um, this one is from Nigel. He says, the reason often given for the elderly not getting vaccinated is a concern regarding underlying health conditions. But a much larger percentage of elderly people in many overseas countries have been safely vaccinated. Are the Hong Kong elderly truly at greater risk than their equivalents in Australia, the UK or the US? Is this local misinformation, a touch of paranoia or just an excuse? That email is from Nigel. I have another one here from Karen. She says, uh, Dear Backchat, a lot of these discussions seems to be hinting that everything will change if everyone gets vaccinated. Has it been established that mass vaccination in Hong Kong would definitely lead to the end of zero COVID and getting back to normal? That uh, email is from Karen. And uh, I have another one here. It says, uh, hello, Patrick. Um, why does the government have no telephone numbers for advice if you have the injection or if you have side effects? That uh, message is from David. And uh, another one. Uh, sorry, sorry, there's uh, so many messages because uh, you're on back chat today. Um, and this one is from Phyllis. Um, she says, we need incentives to get vaccinated. Hong Kong seems to have more health conditions preventing vaccination than anywhere else in the world. Um, in your comment, Mr. Nip? Yes. Uh, thank you. Um Firstly, um, for the um, elderly, yes, um, there are misinformation. Um, there are um, not just for the elderly, but also um, from their family members. For example, when we do vaccination in residential care homes, um, the doctors do the assessment. It's perfectly okay to receive the jab. Um, the elderly, okay. But majority of them basically are objection, objection from their family members. So we really need uh, the, uh, the sort of education, uh, proper health uh, information, uh, and uh, look around the world and also the um, number of jabs received by the elderly and also it's safe, it's effective and all that. So that's number one. Number two is about the um, effectiveness of vaccination. Yes, vaccination is um, the, the, the the necessary and effective way of uh, dealing with the epidemic. Of course, we also need other measures like uh, prevention of importation of cases, uh, social distancing measures, and all that. But uh, for, for vaccinations, it's important that it reduced um, the risk of severe illness and death uh, once um, infected. And it's important, particularly for the elderly. So that's it. And the thirdly, um, if there are any uh, problems um, after uh, receiving a jab, uh, actually one can uh, consult doctors or go to our public hospitals and, uh, or call our hotlines. So um, we have these uh, channels available. And uh, <clears throat> what else? 
I think that's about it. But then are there more ways um, that, can, that we can help boost the vaccination rate of the elderly? I think that was one of the questions by Phyllis. Uh, yeah, I think uh, one is uh, we will continue to make available uh, multiple channels to facilitate elderly to uh, receive the jab. Um, secondly, I think is um, government policy. Um, so the vaccine bubble helps. Uh, thirdly is uh, family members. Um, and uh, to, 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 to give a care and concern to elderly and give them the proper uh, health information and look around the world. Um, you know, uh, the number of jabs already administered um, throughout the world. All right, uh, Mr. Nip, I know you have a very busy schedule ahead of you and uh, you need to rush off now. Many thanks again for joining us this morning and uh, we hope to speak to you soon. That's uh, Civil Service Secretary Patrick Nip, the man in charge of Hong Kong's inoculation drive. Now, apart from COVID vaccination, what many Hong Kong people are concerned with this week is, of course, the mass culling of hamsters after two people are thought to have caught COVID-19 from them. To discuss this, we're joined on the line by Professor Nicholas Osterida, the dean of the Jockey Club College of Veterinary Medicine and Life Sciences at the City University. Good morning, Professor Osterida. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so to protect public health, around uh, 2,000 hamsters will be culled. How, many, uh, how much of a risk do they actually pose? I, I mean, is it likely that the virus uh, would spread from hamsters to humans? So it's, it's well known that... that um you know, the original uh, SARS-CoV-2 and the Delta variant uh, replicate really well in Syrian hamsters and, and, and dwarf hamsters, including the Roborowski dwarf hamster. So uh, not only does it replicate well, it also um, um, has the potential to be uh, transmitted then from the animal to the human. So I, I think the risk is uh, definitely there once you have... Uh, hamsters infected. Is the risk high? Well, the, the, the virus produced in hamsters is, is um, in the neighborhood of what is produced in, in humans. So if you have very close contact with those hamsters uh, and if they're pets and, and you, you caress them, for example, then uh, the risk is there uh, that you actually contract uh, SARS-CoV-2 from, from your hamster. Has there been any evidence so far of um, animal to human transmission during the COVID pandemic? Yes, there has been. Uh, it's usually a human to animal to human transmission chain. So what's been reported uh, in the Netherlands and in Denmark, for example, um, by the way, also resulting in, in, in cullings of, of animals was uh, transmission from humans to mink. Uh, so mustelids, uh, where mink belong to and ferrets, are highly susceptible uh, to SARS-CoV-2, and then from the mink, uh, humans were reinfected. They had a, obviously a massive cull of mink um, in, in, in the Netherlands. Was it uh, 17 million or something were, were I, culled? I, yeah, 15 million. Yeah, I, I have the 15 million, but, but millions were culled, yes. Yes, um, but after that, the Food and Agriculture Minister actually resigned. They said it had been a mistake. Uh, do, you think, you know, do you think the hamster cull might go the same way in Hong Kong? I, you know, it, it, I think uh, there's, these are two really different uh, situations. I mean, the, the, the call in Hong Kong of, of these uh, 2,000 hamsters in, in the pet shops with uh, um, multiple uh, hamsters uh, obviously infected, 
uh, is a direct consequence of the zero COVID policy. So if you, uh, uh, you know, direct your, your policy towards keeping the virus out and, and uh, avoiding uh, any uh, local transmission, uh, then uh, this poses a different risk as compared to Europe, where you have hundreds of thousands of human-to-human transmissions right now every day. So it's, um, it's, it's a completely different uh, scenario, and it was uh, back then, I think, yeah. yes. How close are hamsters to rats in terms of disease transmission, this disease transmission? To rats? Yeah. Because we have a lot of rats in Hong Kong, and we have around well, 10 million well, rats. I mean, the, 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 the obvious direct uh, difference is, uh, other than rats, hamsters are highly susceptible to sars coronavirus too. Number two, uh, they are they are kept as, as pets. I mean, uh, there's also rats. As, uh, are you referring to rats as pets or, or the... I'm thinking about the, the ones in the streets, perhaps, yeah, uh, going through the bins rather than the, the pet yeah. rats, yes. I think you don't have as close of a uh, relationship with whether you're a street rat and, and also it's not uh, really highly susceptible to SARS-CoV-2. Um, Professor Osterita, let's go back to the uh, hamster call. Um, I mean, you, 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 I mean, from what you're saying, are you saying that it is necessary to for the government to call all these hamsters? Uh, you know, I, I num, number one, I would say I don't want to be uh, making this decision because it, it's uh, for any veterinarian and the ones in charge to make a decision like that is um, very, very hard. I'm sure. Um, so. So um, I, I think um, if you are within a zero COVID policy framework, uh, you don't have very many options in terms of trying to avoid uh, introduction of the virus into the community. And uh, if you have infected hamsters, as I just pointed out, this is a, this is a real or could be a real risk. So um, there is uh, some understanding that uh, this may be necessary. There's not just hamsters that have been uh, sort of culled at the Little Boss pet shop, though. AFCD just told us there were 159 rabbits and 38 chinchillas and 81 guinea pigs at, at the shop and the warehouses that were humanely treated. I mean, was that a bit a step too far? Uh, I mean, this, you have to, um, if, you, if you do um, measures like this, again, very harsh measures uh, of obviously um, culling, uh, there, there is, um, I mean, Making exceptions would would be would be very hard to to monitor to justify and and to um, um, to um, you know to, just execute. Uh, so um, I think if if you go down that route, uh, it leaves you again with very few uh, options. Um, it's uh, it's tough. All right, so Professor Osterreeder, I have uh, two emails here. Um, this one is from Simon. He says, it starts with hamsters. Then out of an abundance of caution, it moves to dogs and cats. Of course, they will be put down humanely. When might it extend to you and me? That uh, message is from Simon. And another email here from Leon. He says, uh, here's a simple question. If a stable staff and a racehorse at the Hong Kong Jockey Club stable were found to be carrying the COVID virus, would government call the entire stable? Often as many as 50 to 60 expensive horses owned by many of Hong Kong's rich and famous. I seriously doubt it. And uh, therein lies the unpredictable, inconsistent and uh, 
uh, COVID policy of the Hong Kong government. And uh, that message is from Leon. So, so um, uh, Professor Osterita, do you think... Um, there is a concern. I mean, could could I mean, if uh, COVID nineteen was found in other animals, will they be called as well, or should they be called as well? So it, I, I think uh, this is uh, you know a question that obviously uh, I cannot answer. But but what what I would say number one is uh, if you own a pet, if you own a a hamster or a cat, uh, the most um, susceptible, as we know. Uh, to SARS-CoV-2 in terms of, of pets, uh, your risk in Hong Kong uh, that, that your pet is infected is very close to zero, if not zero. Um, so there is no need to, to panic or, or even uh, uh, get concerned. Um, um, in terms of, of horses, um, I would say uh, they are not very susceptible. Uh, that was done experimentally, in fact. Um, so, so I think this this question is not um, is not uh, warranted right now. But but um, that that's the situation. And I I just you know I I need to reemphasize. I think you know that the ad- the adoption of the zero COVID policy just um, makes it all the harder to to um, and or highlights what you need to do in order to prevent virus from coming into all right, into uh, the city. Professor Osterwitter, I'm afraid we have to take a short break for the news. Uh, we'll continue our discussion right afterwards when we'll be joined by Angela Chan, the vice chairperson of the Hong Kong Pet Trade Association. And uh, later on in the program, we'll be, we'll be speaking to an animal rights activist. Um, if you want to ask questions or just share your views on today, give us a call. Our number is 233-88266. Now a quick look at the weather. Mainly fine. Cool in the morning. The top temperature will be around 20 degrees. Right, right now, the uh, temperature reading at the observatory is 17 degrees and the relative humidity, 78%. Other than sending more body bags back home is highly, highly unusual. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with James Ockenden and me, Janice Wong. We're talking about the COVID hamster call. If you want to comment or ask questions, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Back Chat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Still with us on the program is Professor Nicholas Osterida, the Dean of the Jockey Club College of Veterinary Medicine and Life Sciences at City University. Also joining us now is Angela Chan, the Vice Chairperson of the Hong Kong Pet Trade Association. Good morning, Ms. Chan. Uh, good morning. Thanks for joining us on Back Chat. Um, before the news summary, we discussed the government's decision to call um, 2,000 hamsters to protect public health. Now, uh, apart from hamsters being called, the pet trade has also been affected by the latest uh, pet shop-linked COVID cases um, with more than 30 licensed pet stores um, that sells hamsters ordered uh, to suspend operations. And um, the import of small animals is also suspended temporarily. Ms. Chan, uh, what was your view on the decision to suspend the operations of uh, pet stores? Um, I mean, um, the pet trade industry, of course, I mean, as a whole, it's very sad about it. I mean, especially the 32 that are infected. Um, You can imagine, I mean, um, shutting the doors of these pet shops, I mean, will have an immense impact on their business, um, on their businesses. they are not allowed to open their doors, so that means they cannot um, um, 
they cannot sell anything. I mean, not not only just small animals, but they are not even allowed to sell pet foods, pet supplies. Um, so basically, that's it. I mean, it has an immense impact. And also, um, the AFCD officials required um, all these shuttered doors, um, pet shops, um, they need to have like a person or a worker over there to open the doors to let the testing to be done. I mean, um, it's actually not easy. Think about it. I mean, um, the pet shop workers, some of them are employees. I mean, they are scared of the virus itself in some ways because of the news everywhere. Um, it's, they, they can just resign and not carry out the job. So um, it has a lot of like operations difficulties. I hope everyone will understand. How much, I mean, you mentioned uh, the impact on business. Uh, do you have a figure? I mean, how much uh, loss is there, I mean, by, by shutting down these uh, pet shops? Um, exact figures, I, I talked to a couple of the owners. Exact figures, they, 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 they don't have it yet because we don't know for how long it will be shut. And it really depends on the length of uh, the suspensions of uh, business operations. Um, it all depends on that. Um so exact figures, it's hard to predict, but they definitely think it's going to be quite a big loss. Uh, also, because as you mentioned as well, um, the import suspension will also lead to basically the end of the small pet trade. Um, again, nobody knows when the um, suspension of import of small mammals um, will will resume and they have no idea what sort of testings um, AFCD um, is thinking of right now. Everyone is um, sort of unsure what will happen next. What's the scale of this industry anyway? How many small animals are imported into Hong Kong every year? Uh, numbers, to be honest, I don't have it right now, but uh, all I know is over 80% of these small animals are imported from overseas. Yeah. Where are the pet owners going to get their supplies? Because there's some very specialist food and equipment required for some of these pets, right? And if the store that sells them is closed, where are they going to find that? Uh, right now, uh, you mean you mean when, uh, when when these stores are shut, right? Yeah. Where, where else, right? Um, I would say they could go online to look for it because these small pet shops sell um, the small animal supplies and foods. So there's still pet shops open. Out, out there because um, there are about four or 500 um, pet shops overall in Hong Kong, but they are mostly catering to the cats and dogs population. Um, so those 34 is specialized in small animals. So yeah. that means they're selling small animals, food and pet supplies, so they, they specialize on it. So by shutting the doors of those 34, that means um, it's hard for the small pet animal owners to get supplies. I mean, I'm not saying you cannot get it. Probably you can still find it on other regular like pet shops, but some of these items might you might not be able to find it anywhere else when these doors, uh, when the 34 pet shops doors are shut. Yeah, you can still get some flower seeds pretty much anywhere. I think some. And uh, what's been the reaction of uh, um, pet shop owners? I mean, apart from the ones you mentioned earlier, there you have um, other members in your in your group. I mean, what's what's been their reaction? I mean, some of them might be selling cats and dogs as well. I mean, are they concerned to an extent? They are very concerned. Um, like I said, I mean, we do not know small animals for 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 these thirty four shops. They are they they don't actually. I, I would say both of them. They they only 
sell small animals. I mean, they don't do dogs and cats as well. I mean, small animals, pet shops, they are they are specialized group, as I mentioned. I mean, um, so for the suspension and also the import ban, their business has been immensely affected, for sure, 100%, because that's basically their bread and butter. So, um, and also, aside from thinking about the money, everyone is very sad and devastated because um, the mass killing um, of the all the 2,000 lives, I mean, I don't think everyone in the industry agrees to it, like, right away, um, the, about the decision of the government. Um, they basically have no choice but to follow the government's mandate. Um, they are forced to close their doors. They are forced to um, hand over their hamsters, and in particular, um, little boss and in the Thai Taipo warehouse, they even have to hand over other animals like rabbits and uh, chinchillas, etc. But uh, we'll have to say we really have no choice but to follow the government's mandate. There's no negotiation prior to anything that the government has decided to do. But all this... Um action is to protect public health that's what we that's what officials are saying isn't that we definitely understand i mean uh that's why we have no way to say anything else but we would have to say um because it, think about the batches um of the of the of the import i mean because right now if you think about it um the the batches involve are from uh, the netherlands so but it only involves about less than 40 percent of of, of the import, I mean, of all the um, hamsters in the market. So before testing all of them, um, we, we have doubts about it. Now, um, in response to these uh, pet shop-linked COVID cases, the, the government said they will decide later whether small animals should be screened before they're shipped to Hong Kong and uh, also after they arrive. Um, Professor Osterreeder, do you think that's necessary? Uh, I mean... Uh, Professor? So, uh, I, I mean, uh, absolutely, we have say, said that before. I mean, it's known that animals and, and with different susceptibilities can carry SARS-CoV-2. So if you are following um, a zero-COVID policy, I, I think it does make sense to, um, or is even, um, you know, critical to, to test um, whatever comes uh, into town, especially if it's uh, alive and if it's known to be susceptible to SARS-CoV-2. I think this is uh, very, very important. So, so maybe yeah, I, I think the industry agrees to it as well. All right. So maybe not just a test, or not just screen small animals, but but other larger ones as well, like dogs and cats. Well, it's it. I mean, that uh, hamsters again are exquisitely susceptible to SARS-CoV-2, especially dwarf hamsters. Um, uh, cats are uh, much less so, and even. Uh, uh, to, a, to a lesser extent, dogs. So, so the likelihood is, is, is very, very low. The other thing uh, that, that one needs to keep in mind is that uh, around the world now Omicron takes over, and what Omicron apparently does is really focus on the human. So it seems like that animals become uh, less and less susceptible to the Omicron variant. So I, I think uh, that there, there will be a shift um, in, in what what uh, SARS-CoV-2 can do or uh, how well it can replicate it in small animals, have there including been, hamsters. Have there been specific uh, experiments on, on animals yes. with Omicron? Yes, yeah. yes. 
So, so hamsters are less susceptible to Omicron? Well, it, it, the, the, I mean, it's, it's early days, but uh, the initial uh, reports seem to suggest that uh, there is a, a differential uh, replication uh, of Omicron versus the other um, SARS-CoV-2 variants in, in small animals. Right, but could, could uh, other animals be more susceptible to Omicron? Have those sort of well, tests been it, done? Logically, you would assume that, but I, 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 or you could assume that. But I, what I think is happening, uh, the virus in other parts of the world is is going to a state of what we call endemicity, uh, focusing, uh, if you so want, on the human, replicating well in the human, um, infecting large numbers of, of uh, humans, uh, and uh, I think um, that that is sort of. Uh, the, the state that uh, one should uh, strive to achieve. All right, uh, Professor Osterita, I have an email here from Rick. He says, are we going to kill all dogs and cats? Where does this madness end? I guess he's referring to the uh, hamster call. Um, but then from what you're saying, Professor, cats and dogs there are less likely to be infected by COVID-19. Is that what you're saying number, really? Number one, yes, that's correct. And the other thing that I to stress again, if you have a dog or cat in your household, if you are vaccinated, uh, there is very, there's pr- pretty much no uh, way that your dog and cat or yourself can can get infected, uh, given the situation in Hong Kong. So, really, um, I think we need to take out the the panic and uh, focus on on what's at hand. And and it, I mean, this has uh, this. Um, really devastating calling, which it is, has, has only highlighted that there is many avenues for a virus to enter into um, a zero-COVID uh, uh, region. Ms. Chan, um, just go back to you. Do you know yeah. any um, customers have been calling um, pet shops to inquire about uh, their, their pets recently? Uh, I mean, after the hamster call? We, we, we haven't. I, I, I'm not sure. Sorry, I'm not sure, but I mean calling NGOs about abandoning. Yes, yeah, but calling pet shops, I'm not sure. We had uh, information from AFCD. There had been te- 200 telephone inquiries to its uh, hamster hotline, so that seems like quite a lot, I think. Oh, sounds a lot, I think. Um, that's why um, abandonment, uh, abandoning the, the hamsters or there's more animals is our major concern right now. Um, um, we, we hope that people uh, are making like a careful decision, think carefully before any, like, making any um, rash decisions about abandoning the, your, your pets. I mean, especially the ones that you've had at your house for a while. I mean, I, I, I do not think they will have COVID. If they have it, you have it already, but maybe, but maybe Professor will have a clearer answer on that. But uh, like I said, before making any rash decisions on giving up your pets or leaving them on the streets, please don't, I mean, think before and you're responsible for them. All right, uh, Ms. Chan, uh, we have to leave it there for now. Um, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Angela Chan, the vice person of the Hong Kong Pet Trade Association. Now, uh, to join in our discussion with Professor Osterita on the COVID hamster call, we have another guest on the line, and uh, she's Karina O'Carroll, the Animal Welfare Education Manager at Animals Asia. Good morning, Ms. O'Carroll. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so, so what do you make of the hamster calling? 
Well, I think um, obviously the last two days have been quite traumatic for many different people. Um, I think one of the main points is that um, organizations like the CDC, who and many of our own local veterinary experts who I've been in discussions with over the last two days, and also reading their public comments, all indicate that the risk of transmission from animal to human is still very low and unlikely. Um, so it's really sort of been devastating to see the fear that this decision has created with guardians surrendering their animals, but also beloved um, pet family members being ripped away from traumatized children. And I guess the question is, what lesson are we teaching our younger generations? That life is disposable? Um, I think NGOs and those working within the animal welfare field are really concerned about the implications that this decision will have on dumping of and abandonment of small companion animal species. We've seen 60 uh, hamsters turned over to the government, uh, according to AFCD, but uh, possibly many more actually abandoned. I'm actually watching the police blotter last night. There was animal carcass found was popping up again and again. So it's a concern that these are possibly being dumped. Are you, are you seeing that? Uh, are you getting news of that? I think there's definitely been a lot of online discussion, obviously, about this situation and the fear that the decision has placed in people. I think while hamsters can be susceptible to the virus, they can recover, and with sensible hygiene protocols, transmission risk to humans is low. Um, hamsters in a home environment generally aren't taken out. They can be isolated, and they can be supported by their guardians. So. I guess, as I'm sure has been mentioned, should guardians be worried about the health of their hamster or other small animals, they can seek advice from their veterinary surgeon. Um, should people be concerned about their own health, they can still keep their pets, just reduce contact with them and have them cared for by others. Wash your hands, stay away from your pets if you feel sick. If you're worried that your pet is sick, call your vet. Um, there is at this moment still no reason to abandon your animals um, as there's no evidence that animals play a significant role in, in spreading COVID. So we really implore people to not dump their animals onto the streets. Um, obviously, NGOs will be inundated, I'm sure, already with calls for people concerned and not having um, the information that they need um, as to what to do with their animals and their own health as well. So we hope that we don't see animals dumped, but we do fear that we will see this happening in the next couple of days and weeks. Professor Osterita, do, do you have a response? I mean, from what Ms. O'Carroll is saying, the, the risk of uh, transmission from animal to humans is very low. I mean, I completely agree with, with uh, what was just said. I, I, I think uh, we really need to distinguish between the culling of these 2,000 animals in warehouses and in pet shops versus uh, pets that are already in households. I would uh, completely agree, and I can only again reiterate, that the risk of contracting COVID from your pet at home is, I would put it at almost uh, at zero for all intents and purposes. Um, the, the, the replica or the, the transmission uh, in, in larger colonies of animals to and then from these animals to humans is a different issue and that's where the, the government has focused on. And again, if you, if you follow a zero COVID policy, uh, any, any door that you open for the virus to get in uh, into the population uh, needs to be shut. That that is the direct consequence, and that's what's been done by the culling. Uh, that I also end as a veterinarian and uh, a man who uh, had hamsters. 
uh, himself um, is, is very, uh, very much devastated about it. it. It's very clear. But these are very, two very different um, uh, scenarios. And uh, there have been some reports of uh, pe- people setting their hamsters free just on the street. I, I, must, I must say, we, we haven't been able to verify this. But, Professor Osterita, if this was the case, what impact will it have? I mean, um, if the hamsters are, are, does have COVID, then how likely will it spread to other animals? I think, again, if, if people with pets set them free, they should not and must not do this because there's a zero risk. Um, and so uh, that means the zero risk would also translate to the ones that are set free, which I hope will not happen. Uh, so there is no uh, transmission. And, and, and as you are at risk of transmission, as you uh, pointed out, it is clear uh, that uh, in the grand scheme of things, uh, transmission from animals to humans plays absolutely no role. What sort of consultation was done on this, uh, Professor Osterreider? Um, did the government consult, you know, you as an expert, or also uh, Miss O'Carroll? Did the government consult Animals Age or any other NGOs before announcing this, Professor Osterreider? First, perhaps. I, I, we we um, we were in, in contact, but but this is clearly a, gov- uh, a government and a public health uh, decision that uh, needs to be taken by the government and and was taken by the government. Um, we didn't have any consultation with the government on this issue, um, so yeah, we were as surprised as everybody else. Yeah. Do you normally have? Do you have a good relationship with the government in terms of liaising on animal rights issues? Uh, we do have opportunity to attend government meetings and input on different animal welfare issues. So yes, we do generally tend to have a good relationship um, and discussions with them on varying topics, but. I think just as maybe perhaps a final point and something that has been brought up in the past is that this tragic situation should also make us rethink our relationship with animals generally. I mean, we've got this situation of shipping domestic, exotic and wild creatures thousands of miles across the globe to be held in warehouses with many, no doubt, undocumented not surviving these journeys to then be sold or bred in pet shops for profit. Um, our breeding and trading of animals and the traceability of these individual animals within the pet trade really needs serious review and much more stringent regulation and enforcement as a sort of overall umbrella point. Mm, very good. Um, Professor Osterreeder, um I have a message here. Um, this is from Jess. Uh, she, she just wrote on uh, Backchat's uh, Facebook page. Uh, she says, to be clear, I don't think that many folks are worried about getting COVID from their pets that is uh, not afraid of the virus itself. I do, however, know that I am now terrified of getting COVID in case my cats are destroyed because of it. Professor Osterita, if um, someone does get COVID, it doesn't mean the pets will be destroyed, does it? Well, this, this, is, an, um, this, but this is a very important, good question. And that, uh, that also comes back to concerns that many people have. What happens if, if I contract COVID and um, have to go to um, the, the hospital or or to a um, isolation facility. What will happen to my ha- uh, my uh, uh, pet? And I can only refer to what was done initially by uh, AFCD. Um, they they have quarantine facilities for animals that come from quote unquote COVID households. Uh, obviously, this this is uh, can only be maintained. Um, when when numbers are in a certain range, and that was also part of the problem 
uh, with uh, the, the numbers of animals that, that they had to deal with. I mean, the alternative to the culling would have been uh, quarantining and isolation and testing, and that's just not doable with that number of animals. Um, so uh, I think uh, if you are infected by a human uh, and have a pet at home, uh, that is an issue, and, and um, you need to uh, think about what, what will happen if you indeed uh, were infected and uh, were to go to an isolation facility. Why, why is that not doable, a quarantine? I mean, the, the, these animals are managed by, in warehouses by people. Why can't they be quarantined? I mean, you would need the quarantining alone. You need, also need to do testing. You, you need to swap those hamsters. You need to have them in isolation cages. You, you need to uh, follow protocols. And, and you know, um, I've, I've had hamsters. I've worked with hamsters. This is, uh, it's, it's just, I mean, for, for, I mean, alone the number of cases that you would need, for example, and the security measures, I think this is really beyond what, what can be, you know, just, what would the cost be if you could put a figure on it? How much would that have cost? Well, I, I, I don't. It's not so much a matter of cost. It, it's a matter of logistics. I mean, do you have two thousand cages sitting somewhere that you can use, and do you have the the, the bedding, and do you have the feed, and, and all that? I mean, it's it's just, and you don't, and and making those public health decisions again, they are they are devastating. They are harsh. You just don't have that time to figure that all out. It, it uh, was pointed out it needed to be a quick um, and, and firm reaction. Going to Miss O'Carroll's point about tracing animals, obviously laboratory mice and rats, you know their genetic history, you know, all the way back, you know, tens and hundreds of years. How about for domestic animals? Is it feasible to trace where they come from? Um, I think it's, it's, it's challenging, no doubt. I think definitely the situation with genetics and the testing of many different species, the 2,000 hamsters, it's definitely challenging, but I think, uh, in my viewpoint, it's not impossible. I think there are resources available to throw at these kind of situations that, you know, may have spared the life of these hamsters, but obviously understand that the logistical um, issues are difficult to deal with. Um, but I think definitely uh, tracing of dogs and cats, for example, um, with pet passports, for example, um, different certificates and licenses that are required may perhaps be slightly easier um, than other small animal species, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be tracing. And we shouldn't be accountable. You know, animals that are um, sold in the pet trade, we should be accountable for those lives. They're still living creatures. And many, um, you know, during the transport process or import and export, they do get lost in the cracks. Um, and it's not just domestic species, but also wild species. Um, and also, um, yeah. Basically. How many get uh, how many get lost in the cracks, so to speak? I don't have the figures to hand, but from reports that I've read from other organisations over the years, there's definitely, um, you know, especially within a, the pet trade, um, you know, there are animals that don't survive these journeys, and there there are statistics I'd have to go and find them for you. But um, definitely, death within transport of animals for the pet trade is is an issue. Right. So hamster passports could be a thing to help protect, <laughs> <laughs> take lives. Um, so, um, Ms. O'Carroll, what advice uh, do you have for um, hamster pet owners or other pet owners who are worried about this, uh, these uh, latest cases related to uh, pet shops? 
Well, I think from the advice and the information that I've received from veterinary experts and discussions over the last couple of days, they have all indicated that, you know, uh, as I said, if people have concerns for their own health, isolate yourself away from your pets, maintain strict hygiene protocols um, personally, but also in regards to your pets as well. Um, if you have concerns for your pet's health or welfare, definitely consult with your vet and they will be able to give you more information about how to manage your pet within your home or if there are serious concerns for the pet health, then they can obviously give you the proper advice um, as to how to deal and manage with that situation. But there is still absolutely no need, and this is coming from many vets that I've spoken to, to abandon your animals or um, even surrender them as well at the moment. And also just as an added point, you know, pets in Hong Kong are deemed property by law. So, you know, pet parents do have a right and a choice to say what happens with their animals and their pets as well. So just to bear that in mind as well. All right, uh, Ms. O'Carroll, we'll have to leave it there for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And that's uh, Karina O'Carroll, the Animal Welfare Education Manager at Animal Asia. Also many thanks as to uh, Professor Nicolas Osterida, the Dean of the Jockey Club College of Veterinary Medicine and Life Sciences at City University. Also many thanks to uh, all of you who commented through email and our Facebook page. And thank you to James, of course, and Yuki, our producer. Now here's the weather. Uh, mainly fine and cool in the morning. The top temperature will be around 20 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh easterlies. And the outlook, windy with a few rain patches in the next couple of days. Mild and humid with relatively low visibility on Sunday and Monday. Right now it's 17 degrees, relative humidity 76%. As the risk of severe disease and death from COVID-19 increases with age, vaccines are highly recommended for the elderly. Common side effects are usually mild and temporary. Experts advise that those who have had flu shots before can safely receive COVID-19 vaccines. Even if you have a disease, you should get vaccinated as long as your condition is stable. Just staying home doesn't mean you're free from the risk of infection. Protect yourself. Get vaccinated early. It's 9.30, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. Civil Service Secretary Patrick Nip says children aged 5 to 11 years old can receive the Sinovac vaccine from tomorrow. Mr. Nip, the minister responsible for Hong Kong's vaccination drive, said children with parents' consent can get the jab from one of three community vaccination centers or more than 1,000 private clinics. President Biden has said he thinks Russia will invade Ukraine, but has warned the United States will impose severe costs and significant harm on Russia in response. In a news conference marking his first full year in office, Mr. Biden said he feared a Russian attack on its neighbor would result in a conflict that could get out of hand. And the first flights carrying aid to Tonga following Saturday's volcanic eruption and tsunami have taken off from New Zealand and Australia. The runway at Tonga's main airport had to be cleared of large quantities of volcanic ash to make it safe for planes to land. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. How are you? You're not too bad at all. Good morning. Leave me up to Hello. You never Facebook chat with me? Good morning. He's got the Tom and Gary type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you and welcome to Thursday here on Morning Brew. 
for wheeling with you. Thanks very much to Mr. Ross for yesterday. Well, at 10.10, we're going to welcome back composer and conductor Colin Touchin for our slightly later than normal classical music session. He was busy yesterday, but he's well ahead of the beat today as he wants to introduce you to some of the lesser-known violin concertos out there. Some great stuff as well. You know, the pieces that, although written by composers we've all heard of, are rare and well worth revisiting. After 11, our vet, Dr. David Gething, will be with us for this week's Cage Call. Well, obviously, there's one topic very much in the news at the moment, but I think it is worth mentioning that Dave is a man of medicine only. However, do ask him any questions you may have. And also, leading on from there, the topic of animal vaccination along with vicarious vaccine hesitancy, that kind of means anti-vaxxers by proxy, that will undoubtedly be on today's agenda. It's Morning Brew at rthk.hk or find us on Morning Brew's Facebook page.